Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Great to be here today. Have a jam-packed show for you. Going to be talking at the in the first segment with uh, Kendra Cook, who's the founder of a wonderful organization called Keeping Canines in Kevlar. Uh, before we talk with Kendra, uh, I just wanted to let you know of a few events here that are coming up in the Seattle area, uh, one of them coming up um, just in about a week and a half, the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show. One of our favorite events this year, or every year, is uh, this year, March 12th and 13th at CenturyLink Field Event Center. So definitely come by and check that out. You can go to seattledogshow.org to find out more information and details about the event it's from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. every uh, both Saturday and Sunday, and we have a booth kind of right smack in the middle of things on the main floor. So definitely come by and say hi if you come to the event. And then mark your calendars. It's not until June, but it's worth marking your calendar to make sure you go. The Vashon Sheepdog Classic, June 9th through the 12th this year on Vashon Island, Another our other favorite event of the year. Um, so fun. We're going to be there all uh, throughout the entire event, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's a really, really fun time. And you can find out more about that event at VashonSheepdogClassic.com. And so I have with me here on the line um, Kendra Cook, who's the founder of an organization called Keeping Canines in Kevlar. Kendra, welcome to the show. Thank you, Julie. So you reached out to me this morning, actually, and let me know about an effort um, that's going on right now that you're you are participating in a contest, which basically is just, you know, whoever gets the most votes kind of thing wins the prize. And uh, keeping canines and Kevlar is participating in this. And you guys winning the prize would enable you to provide a vest for a canine officer who currently is is without a protective vest on duty. Um, and of course, I was like, oh, we have we have a little bit of time before we start our um, main interview. So um, tell us a bit about what your what is this um, contest? And then we'll get into a little bit about the background of the organization. Sure. So Bob Walling's insurance company is he is supporting a favorite nonprofit contest. And mm-hmm. so we were nominated as a favorite nonprofit from one of our sponsors. And so we are now entered into this contest. And I believe there's 29 different companies that are in, into this. Mm-hmm. And they're tough companies. So what, what people do is they go and they vote with their email address for their favorite nonprofit. And then the winner receives. $2,000 for the first prize, $1,000 for the second, and $500 for the third prize. And our Kevlar vest costs $2,500 a piece. So we are have a huge list of canines to actually vest, and this would yeah. help support the vest for our next canine. Well, so and, we're hoping to get first place. Yeah. And um, so I had asked you when we were connecting before the show, why are these vests so expensive? And I didn't... Um, you know, think about the fact that, and of course it totally makes sense once you told me about how these vests really need to be custom fit 
for the dogs, much like uh, mobility harnesses, for example, for service dogs, really need to be custom fit to a dog because, of course, every dog has a different size. So it would be like trying to, what was the example you gave me? It'd be like trying to run around and, you know, something that, that really didn't fit well and could cause chafing or restrict movement, which, of course, these dogs need to move freely and be comfortable. So that's part of why they're so expensive. And this is a brand. What was the name of the brand of the vest that you um, that you provide exclusively? It's from a company called K9 Storm. K9, Mm -hmm. letter number. Yeah. Storm in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and they are patented. They are the top of the line. The best you can best you can vest a dog. Mm. So we only buy the best for the best canines we have. Yeah. And there are thousands of active canine officers who are on duty without protection. And you guys are really on a mission to provide vests, you know, one dog at a time. And you are actually um, founded here in Washington State and are now working with other states as well. Um, and investing other other dogs around the country. Correct. Yeah. Correct. We are. Gosh. Um. So, what inspired you to start this organization? After learning that the canines are not vested from the, from uh, fundraising money, excuse me, from from uh, government funds, mm. we decided to contact our local agency to find out how we can help, and they said only by fundraising, canines get vests. So they can't legally raise money for themselves, so they have to depend on the community to do that. So we got together with a canine handler, and the canine handler does everything law enforcement way, and we do everything civilian way, and we together we raise the funds for the canines, and our, our handler goes out and finds canines that need vests, and we raise the funds for them, and so far we have... 23 canines that either are vested or in the process of being vested because their vests are being handmade as we speak. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and it must be, I imagine, for the human half of the partnership that uh, what a relief it would be if I if I were an officer who uh, who handled a canine officer, you know, who's partnered with a canine, how much better I would feel also knowing that my canine partner was protected versus unprotected. I mean, I think emotionally that must be a huge relief for the humans. Absolutely. The canines are the first ones to go into the line of fire, and they don't know what the line of fire is. They're Mm -hmm. doing their job. And the canines, they live with their handlers 24-7, and they are more than a partner. They are family. Yeah. They uh, they will they will take a bullet for the officer, and they sometimes have to go in a situation knowing that they may not come out, the handler or the dog. Right. And so having this extra layer of protection will ensure that the vital organs will be taken care of mm-hmm. should anything happen with that for stabbing, um, shrapnel, and common handguns. Yeah. So um, you are participating in a contest right now, and how can people... So what there is for people to do right now, if you would like to help the cause, and I, I hope you do, yes, is yes, to uh, go to your Facebook page, Keeping Canines in Kevlar. Is that the best way? Sure, they can do that, and you can get more information about us from there. Or you can also go directly to the site where the contest is, and that's at www.bwi, and then the word CARES, 
C-A-R-E-S dot com, and that will send you straight to the voting area for all the nonprofits that are on the list. Of course, our favorite is keeping canines in Kevlar yeah. for them to vote, and it's one vote per email. And hopefully, everybody has email has a work email and a personal email. We would really like your vote. Yeah. Currently, we are at in first place, but only by ten votes. Mm, close race. So we are yes, and the voting continues to the end of the month, and we have some tough competition because mm-hmm. there are some big companies coming up. And who is the so nervous? Who is the dog who will be getting the vest when you win this? That is a good question. We have uh, several canines right now on our list, and we're going through to figure out which canine is most in need. Mm -hmm. And I have contact from Adams County Sheriff's Office for Canine Garrett Mm -hmm. in Othello, Washington, that um, he has responded asking for us to put him on our list, and we're looking into his needs by the most at-risk dog at this time. Mm-hmm. So we're going through all the at-risk calls to figure out who is the most at need at this moment. Must be hard so to choose. We're looking at canine gear. Yeah. We, yes. So yes, we have to turn away some canines. Yeah. So go to their Facebook page, which is Keeping Canines in Kevlar, and that's the letter K uh, dash and then the number nine. And then yes. um, for canine. Um, and if you're, you know, driving or whatever, you can't remember this, you can always just go to our Facebook page. I've posted a link to you guys on our Facebook page, The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, so people can also um, get to you through us as well. But I will definitely be casting my vote this afternoon for you and uh, definitely keep us posted. I hope you guys win. And hey, you know, if you're listening and you not only want to vote for them to support them, but maybe you want to donate for them to provide another dog with a vest as well. You can do that through their Facebook Facebook page as well. Kendra, thanks so much for your time today, and I wish you the best of luck, and thanks for what you are doing to help protect our canine officers who really need it. We're going to take a quick break, you, and Julie. yeah, and when we're going to come back talking with Linda Watkins, who is the founder of Australian Cattle Dog Rescue, Inc., talking about the Blue Moon Puppy Mill bust that happened a while back. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Whispering Dragon Center in Seattle, we cover the world of animals. This week, March 6th, it's Shelter Rescue Sanctuary and Anything That Helps Our Animal Friends Sunday. We'll have a great lineup, plus our featured guest will be Tom Murdoch, director of the Northwest Stream Center in Everett and co-author of the Stream Keepers Field Guide. He's a wealth of information about our wild animal friends and improving their environment. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. 
Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities. You name it, and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. (laughs) Good news, Belgium. We're streamed worldwide at 1150kknw.com. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. The Dog Show is back with Julie Forbes. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And I'm back with Linda Watkins, who's the president of ACDRI, Australian Cattle Dog Rescue, Inc. And uh, Linda is here to share with us um, about this recent story that I have seen um, on social media about a a recent puppy mill um, bust um, for specifically for Australian cattle dogs, which is a breed um, near and dear to our hearts. We have two Australian cattle dogs. And of course, any story about a puppy mill is going to be near and dear to my heart, um, any breed of dog. But um, this was, I think, a curious one because it's not a typical breed that you would expect for puppy mills. Um, But the Australian Cattle Dog Rescue Inc. has been playing a huge part in caring for these dogs who have come out of these horrific conditions. So, Linda, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Julie. Good to be here. Thank you for asking us. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I mean, I had seen quite a bit of, um, uh, I guess, talk about this around social media, Um, I think especially because, I mean, I see a lot of dog-related things, as you might imagine, but especially since this is our breed and we have a lot of you know, friends on Facebook who are cattle dog people. And so I think we, you know, I got whiff of this maybe stronger than other ones, but, um, but it's such an important topic to, to talk about in general is this, this whole world of, of puppy mills and online breeders. And as a consumer, knowing what to look out for to protect yourself to, and to protect these dogs who are unfortunately part of a booming industry. And, it, you know, they really shouldn't be, but unfortunately they are. Um, so you guys have been uh, the really the, the rescue group that's been handling this case. That's only been going on for like the last month. Yeah, the actual, um, let's see, there was a little preliminary kind of a, it's kind of like an earthquake. We got a little timbler, um you know, early on, about the first week in, in October, and then the <clears throat> excuse me, and then the the big uh, big wave hit in um, October the tenth. Um, 
And this took place down in, in Picayune, Mississippi. Mm. And the police went in there. Uh, they had been working on this for, I don't know, uh, several weeks that we know at least. And went in and they pulled out uh, 54 dogs. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think out of the 54, uh, there were three Pomeranians. And then all the rest of them were cattle dogs. Um, they were had mostly spent their lives in crates, um, in a sh- couple of sheds on the back of the property, no ventilation, uh, pretty typical for what you would see in this kind of a situation, dogs crammed into cages, and that's where they sat unless they got, you know, pulled out to, to breed and then have puppies and stuck back in the cage. So they pretty much live their lives literally in yeah. these cages, like they don't get let out to go to the bathroom? No, a lot of the dogs that actually got pulled out of there had urine burns. Most of them did have urine burns on the bottoms of their paws. Um, They had been standing in uh, the pictures that we saw is just kind of this yellowish, brownish sludge Mm -hmm. that basically is, was, uh, you know, a combination of urine and feces. And then they did have, she had cages that were piled like stacked three high so that the dog on the top, <laughs> you know, didn't get pooped on and everyone down below just, you know, yeah. did. Yeah. Um, the dogs were, the, I think it took them three baths to get oh, I their bet. fur clean. Yeah. So, yeah, she just kept them in the cages unless, you know, they needed something from them. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is what puppy mills, I mean, this is kind of how how puppy mills are. I mean, this is why it is completely unacceptable that they are legal, first of all, to a degree, and that the regulations that are in place are just ridiculously minimal and do not protect these dogs. They do not set a standard of quality of life that we should expect of animals that we share this planet with. And that even ones that are inspected, which this one was, by the American (laughs) Kennel Club, AKC, what is going on? I've had you on the show before. So, you know, if something fell through the cracks, fine. But this is like, it's ridiculous. And it's just horrifying, this condition that these animals live in. It is completely unacceptable. And, And this woman is not in jail she and her husband now, right now are not in jail, and she's advertising on social media that she's going to just pick up with a new and exciting breed. I mean, how is this happening? You know, uh, it's, it's a difficult situation, and it's really hard because I think our, a lot of our animal control officers see this stuff. They would like to be able to do more, but the way the laws are written, uh, you know, we're, we're concerned about property rights and individual rights, and we, we don't want to be, you know, sending the stormtroopers into somebody's property. So as a consequence, you end up with a situation where um, they know what's going on. They can see what's, they can't, and that's the problem. They can't see what's going on because usually these situations are set up in such a way that they cannot be seen from even the road. They can't be seen from, um, you know, a normal inspection. The AKC went in there and inspected, but they did not request or they did not go back. I, I, my understanding, at least, is that they did not go back and check out the sheds where these dogs were held. They mm-hmm. looked around the house. They looked around the property. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then they walked away. So it almost, and even though neighbors complain and file complaints on something like this, it takes a long time. And for most people, what you you do if if you know something like this is happening is you have to document. If you're looking at what's going on, do the best you can to get pictures, um, dates, times, um, just really, really document what you're looking at and what you're seeing. And then then that is what you, um, and make sure you find the right authorities to take it to and take it to them and say, okay, here's here's the situation. And, you know, if we're lucky, then then it will be enough that that they can go in and um, and clean clean things up. Mm-hmm. Um, in her situation, they were code violations. More often than not, in these in these situations, the way they were able to get in and do something is not so much an animal abuse or a hoarding um, uh, question. It becomes a code violation. The neighbors are complaining about the stink in an apartment building, mm. and they go in, and it's, you know somebody's in there with fifty cats. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you said in an in an other. Um, I think you gave an example about Al Capone. Yeah, yeah, you know that's what we were talking about. Was you know more often than not, like Al Capone, they didn't get him on Volstead Act violations. They didn't get him for running booze, what they got him on was income tax. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this woman, they got her on having too many dogs and some other city code violations. Uh, but and not the welfare, not the actual, I mean, the biggest problem and the whole point is the welfare issue, and that's not what they get. No. That's the, and that's not what gives the authorities access to the property. I mean, you've, no. you've said that a lot of times authorities can't even get on the property um, unless there's some other reason like taxes or something like that, like you uh, said. child, you know, as I mentioned, one one of them down here in southeast Oregon was um, a child protective services mm-hmm. complaint, yeah. and that's what got him onto the property. So it's it's hard because... You know, there is so much concern about property rights and, and privacy, and I don't know how you how you balance it. I, I think there's, I think something can be done, but until we get, I think, more folks in the AKC and more of the AKC members talking to the club about fixing it, it's not going to get fixed. Well, and the problem is in the laws. I mean, I mm-hmm. you, you like. Sorry, you forfeit your property rights if you are abusing living creatures on the property. Like you don't, you know, it's it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, property rights. It's like, well, no, it's like I don't care where you're doing it. It's not OK to do it whether you own the property or not. Well, it's not OK, but, uh, you know, we're just stuck with right now the situation that we have. And AKC is one of the biggest lobbyists in the country when it comes to animal um, owner protection laws. Uh, they see, you know, animal rights activists as being a threat to what uh, breeders and, and the puppy mills do. And, um, you know, they resist any any attempts to regulate. And especially, you know, in most of the areas where you have puppy mills, you also find that those are areas that are huge agricultural areas. And, and 
you know, farmers and ranchers are worried that, oh, my gosh, if we support some of this stuff, they're going to be coming and taking my cows. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. I've done a couple interviews in the past over the years and that my understanding, I mean, the American Kennel Club is their own organization. They actually don't, you know, and not to say that that they shouldn't be somewhat responsible because they do set a standard and that's their responsibility in this industry. Well, but they are a gold standard for, yeah, It's you know. the USDA, though, which is the main the main regulatory, I think, entity for this. Yeah, but a lot of the puppy mills, a lot of the states aren't even USDA regulated in these things. Yeah. So, you know, but they're inspectors. And once again, you've got a, an agency that, you know, federal government is bad and we need to make it smaller and they're cutting USDA funds. And so mm-hmm. they look at what's non-essential and their inspection program goes to hell. Yeah. Well, and just the standards, as as we were talking earlier, this, the standards in general, because the the dogs actually have different rights. Yeah. As agri- they're more, they're they have rights of agricultural animals, mm-hmm. which are substandard when they're in a puppy mill, but then when they're in a home, they have rights as a companion animal. So they yeah. they actually have different rights depending on their timing, which yeah. is like that makes sense. And I'm not sure uh, we're kind of interested. We're going to be watching here in Oregon in the just in the last year, the Oregon Supreme Court has declared that animals can be um, named as victims mm, interesting. in legal actions for animal cruelty and abuse. Mm. So instead of just being, you know, the resulting of it or they were the recipients of it, they actually now can be victims. Good. And so it it should make things kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, we certainly have a long way to go as far as the law protecting the animals. But I want to talk about what the parts of this from the consumer perspective, because that's a really powerful part of this, is that the people get more educated and savvy in these kinds of situations so that um, in this case in particular, this was a exceptionally savvy woman who was, she was fooling, amazing. I mean, fooling other breeders. And you said, I mean, this woman actually had a couple dogs from Australia shipped to her. Yeah. Um, so she was um, first. So one of the biggest things I think is if you're going for a purebred dog from a breeder and a purebreed rescue or something like that is just not an option for you that you go on site, no exceptions. You, like you, yeah, you, if you're looking for a dog, um, the first thing would be to find the National Breed Club. I would start there and look and see what their standards are for uh, health care on the dogs. Most dogs have some kind of genetic issues or physical issues that the clubs demand require testing for everything from, you know, in cattle dogs, we have progressive retinal atrophy, which is genetic, and they can test for that. They've isolated the gene, so they can test and see if a dog's affected for it, which, if the dog has it, will go blind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they do testing for deafness. In certain breeds, uh, you know, you, you see more deafness than you do in other breeds. And so there is... Um, it's the Orthopedic Foundation. I, I can't remember the whole. OFFA, I think, is the initials. 
And you can go to that website and actually note the breed that you're interested in, and the OFFA will take you to a list of the suggested health tests that that breed should have. Mm-hmm. And so they will they will tell you that, yeah, they should have their eyes checked, they should have their elbows checked for, you know, situ- bone and, and joint situations, they should be checked for dysplasia and whatever, you know, and they tell you what the name of the test is. They also have a registry that you can go in and check and see if, if you know, any dog that you're interested in or breeder that you're interested in has been testing their dogs. And in this case, this, in this person, case, yeah. people... You know, once again, consumers don't know this, so she says, so yeah, it's bear tested, and here's the, uh, that's the hearing test, and, and here's the certificate that shows that it was bear tested, um, and so people accept that, and they go on their way with it. Well, she was forging the documents. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you would think, like, I, I, I don't even know that I would have known to, you know, go and then what? call the vet and check with their records that, you know, whatever veterinarian signed off on it or something like that and actually double check even that the health records are valid. Well, most people wouldn't. And I mean, she sold some of her dogs to breeders. I mean, she's, she has, because she did have good lines on her dogs and she was, she still, I mean, she still has dogs that are out with handlers that are, are showing up in shows in, you know, on the show circuit. Mm-hmm. The dogs are living with the handlers, and the handlers are taking them around and campaigning them at the shows. So, you know, she's got some some pretty high-quality lines on her dogs. And, um, you know, somebody else is there that is interested in improving their dog lines, and they see them, and they'll buy the dogs or whatever. And so even breeders, because we assume that everybody's honest... <laughs> Yeah. Are, are getting these dogs. And now at this point, I think there are at least eight or nine people that have, um, since the, the person who was wondering about some of these tests has put out a note about it, there are at least eight or nine people who have stood up and said, um, yeah, uh, we, you know, we, it turns out their tests were also forged. Mm. So um, she never got any of that done. She just sold the dogs. But, but you know, she has the documents off. And, and if you're an honest person, it never occurs to you that somebody will do something like that. Yeah, I know. I'm like that. I mean, I, I'm sometimes I feel naive, but I really, I'm like, I just don't expect it. I just can't fathom <laughs> how, you know, I mean, I understand there's mental illness involved and stuff, but I just can't fathom how this happens so much in this country still this, you know, man's best friend and all this stuff. And yet, um, you know, the laws in place really do not protect animals. And it's not just dogs. I mean, and I think why, why yeah. through the USDA, especially, it's so hard to get any sort of laws changed is because we're talking about the industry of agriculture. And these dogs have the same rights, on you know, as agricultural animals as chickens. And, you uh-huh. know, chickens are kept in, you know, worse, probably, conditions or the same. And that's also unacceptable. It's just sort of our treatment of animals in this country is really, really dark. Well, we, you know, we kind of as human beings need to remember that we too are animals. Yeah. And we tend to forget that, that we're all of that, um, would that be the genus? I can't remember, but 
Yeah. You know, we're all there. Yeah. We're all mammals and we're all right there. And, you know, don't discount the idea that that couldn't happen to you. I mean, the conditions these dogs were in, I think, would probably be comparable to a third world prison camp. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know. Um, so um, now one of the things that also of, as part of this is that um, so kind of back to like what what people should look for. So you said, OK, go to the whatever established like breed clubs. Well, the that national, there are. yeah, their national breed club and yeah. find out what you know. OK, this is my this is my breed of dog. Um, okay, they are, you know, typically what, what sort of health clearances they're going to want. They're going to want, like, for example, hips and elbows Mm -hmm. or, um, maybe a heart condition or, you know, whatever it is in the case of cattle dogs, you know, eyes, that kind of thing. Okay. So, so any, um, conscientious responsible breeder is going to not breed dogs that, that, you know, don't pass these clearances because they're not going to want to pass on these traits so now you know as a consumer what to ask for for health clearances and then but even you know in this case unfortunately she knew enough to forge the health clearances so then even that next step further would be to follow up with the vet that's on the paperwork and check and see that that actually did happen because in this case they didn't and then you know what else what else as far as like I mean, going on site or like, you know, don't well, meet, don't meet someone in a parking lot. That's, yeah, that's the other part of it is, um, for heaven's sake, don't buy a dog online and then have them ship it out to you. Yeah. Just, you know, if you're, if you're buying directly from a breeder, you have gone somewhere and met them, you have references. I, I shouldn't say that because, you know, any of my breeder friends are going to say, wait a minute, you know, I've sold dogs that. Are long distance, but rarely will they they do that without you know being very careful to examine the buyer too, and the buyer yeah. should be examining them. What uh, what you what I would suggest, particularly, is if you're looking at a particular name of a, of a breeder or a, you know a kennel, is start and particularly now you've got the access, is start Googling and see how many places that kennel name turns up and what kind of places. You've got all of these online puppy mill, puppy sales services. If you start seeing that kennel name popping up on, on some of those puppy buying services and, and um, brokers and exchanges, you don't want to buy that puppy. Mm-hmm. You know, you you really want to think twice about what you're getting. Um, and the other thing, if you're buying something that's a little more local, like we have some folks here in, in Oregon that, uh, you know, you can buy a cattle dog from them. They will sell you a cattle dog with docked or undocked tail. They'll sell you a mini or a, a regular-sized or a toy cattle dog. Um you know, you just put in your order, and hey, they'll they'll produce one for you, which right there is a clue that there's going to be a real problem because these are not legitimate breeders. They're they're um, you no. know, well, there's no such doing money. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there's no such thing as a mini or toy cattle dog either. Well, there isn't. So you know, that's I'm, the other thing is do some research on the breed and find out what's there, and and um, because there is no such thing as a mini or a you know. A toy, 
cattle dog. They no. just aren't. Um, the other part of that is when you uh, want to get the dog, or it, if you ask, you you really need to at least meet the mom and the pups. Yeah. Um, if you are not allowed to do that, if you are not allowed to come to the property or to the home and meet them, um, that should be a red flag. Yeah. Uh, the other part of that is if they say they'll deliver it to you and you find yourself picking the dog up from a van in a parking lot or at a gas station, uh, that's a red flag. Yeah. Um, you know, these are not people who are doing uh, right by the dogs and they're, and they're not going to do right by you. Yeah. They, you know, and you can't trust, the other thing with that is you can't trust that they actually are the parent dogs that they say are the parent dogs because usually in those situations they've got so many dogs they can't keep track of who's breeding who. Yeah. Well, and why would they be honest when anything can just, I mean, the whole thing's made up anyway, everything that they say on the website and, oh, you know, family owned and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. I mean, you can really say anything you want and it doesn't necessarily have to be true at all. And anybody can make a pretty website, say all the right things. And, you know, I've had situations where people, even in Seattle, um, I was telling you yesterday when we were talking, um, that have gotten dogs, even they met someone who who had a dog and they're, you know, they got the dog from this breeder and so they got that name and then went on and then, you know, I check it out and it's like, ooh, that really, you know, they're in Iowa or they're in... Missouri, which is the, you know, area where there's a higher concentration of puppy mills and stuff. And yeah. And then the other thing is that the dogs end up oftentimes having health problems. And I know in this case, the woman, there was another uh, young, young woman who got, who had one of her puppies and the dog was sent to them with Parvo mm-hmm. and uh, some other cases like that too. Um, it's just so sad. Well, it happens. And, and, you know, I want to make something real clear here as we're talking about this. There are some really good breeders out there. There are good, solid, conscientious breeders. We've got, you know, we've got breeders in the Northwest who are good breeders, and they are all over the country. It's just that in order to find them, you um, need to pay attention. And, you know, actually, you know, go to dog shows. Don't try to necessarily talk to the the folks right there because usually if they're showing they're pretty distracted and they're pretty into what they're doing and they're not it's not a good time to have a chit chat but you can watch and you can kind of watch the way they interact with their dogs sometimes too and and see how that goes and and start finding out oh gee I like the look of that dog then go back and do some research on it if you find a breeder that is also, this is another flag, if you find a breeder that's producing um, two and three and four litters of puppies a year, especially if they're getting up into the three and four puppies a year stage and they're breeding dogs that are under two years old, that's a problem. Um, basically, you know, any any female dog, it's the kind of the, the industry standard is two years old before they even have their first litter. Mm-hmm. I've also gotten what raises an eyebrow for me is when they have, when they, you know, breed, they provide or sell like five different breeds of dog. Yeah. Where it's like, "Mm." there's some that, like, I I know one woman who does, or she used to, I don't know if she still is or not, does Cavaliers and Cattle Dogs. Two breeds. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting combination, but, you know, and, you know, they're, 
we all like different breeds of dogs for different reasons. And so two breeds is... You Nothing know. wrong with I know some I know a number of breeders I can think of off the top of my head who are wonderful, mm-hmm. who have this breed and that breed or this breed and that you know and they have nothing to do with each other but they just are, you know, for whatever they, the reason they right. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm just saying like when it gets up upwards when we're talking several, yeah, <laughs> and and then also the frequency of litter, um, yeah. you know, of litters on those. I think that's a really good point too. Is that um. You know, how how many litters and, and kind of getting all that information, too. And one of the things as we're talking about breeders, because I do want to echo what you said that this, you know, there are a lot of a lot of of really wonderful breeders. And I'm, you know, I'm a dog breed enthusiast. I love all the different breeds of dogs. I love going to dog shows and seeing all the breeds and appreciate the role that dogs have played in our evolution as humans. And, you know, greatly because of all the different jobs that they've done for us. So there is that. Um, And to just say that this isn't like I'm not anti-purebred dog or anything like that. But one of the things that I thought was interesting is that you said that there is a real reluctance within the community of breeders to speak out against someone else. Like, say, there's, a you know, maybe two or three breeders that know that there is this particular person is sort of a sketchy breeder and really, really don't operate you know, to the standards that they should as far as the care of the dogs or whatever, but that they're not going to want to speak out because they can get slammed with a lawsuit. There, you know, and within the community, for one thing, the dog community is, is uh, they talk to each other a lot, you know, and people are going to shows and saying different things and word gets around and it circles around to the person that you're, saying isn't a good breeder, and the next thing you know, yeah, you're going to be sitting there looking at a cease and desist order or a lawsuit or a threat of a lawsuit because mm-hmm. you have made disparaging remarks about their dogs and they take offense at it. Yeah. Um, and then there are the breeders who, you know, I think are confident in and comfortable with their dogs and proud of their dogs that have nothing to hide. And, um, y- you know, after you get to know them a little bit, you you start hearing which ones, but they're not just going to, nobody's just going to tell you that. And honestly, as a rescue group, if somebody called me and said, um, you know, I'm interested in breeder XYZ, I wanted to get a dog from them, what do you think about it? I would probably, if I knew they were a puppy mill, I would probably be fairly careful about how I told that person. Um, you know, I would try to redirect them because once again, you know, I don't want to get hit with a lawsuit either. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, it's a real interesting, um, balancing act of, of making sure that you can kind of steer people in the right direction if you can help at all without, uh, without, you know, putting your neck on the chopping block when you do it. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting to me about the the whole legal structure of this country anyway, which is the only one I'm familiar with, but is that there's no consequence for, I mean, other than like a countersuit, there's no consequence for just suing somebody, you know, completely wrongfully and then costing that person resources that they may or may not have to defend themselves 
like there's no oh, re- our legal system re- totally. repercussion. Yeah. Like it's not like, oh, oh, you really had no grounds to go off and do this and attack this person. Like like you can get get sued for slander, mm-hmm. but but you, you there's no there's no consequence for somebody suing somebody like really wrongfully. And I know it would be hard to kind of determine that. Mm-hmm. But it, I think it happens a lot, and you, you just you're not really protected, and it's so easy to just like cause such a huge stress to somebody's life or ruin somebody just because they they really essentially did the right thing. Yeah. So, well, well now let's talk. Let's get back to these dogs, <laughs> um, these cattle dogs who are a part of this uh, particular puppy mill bust, which mm-hmm. happened in Mississippi. Um, now you guys are, I think there were like 71 dogs, but then she ended up getting back several of them, which is like, makes me want to bang my head against the wall. But, um, so, but you know, the point is you guys have a lot of dogs that are in your care and they are all requiring a lot of veterinary care. They have conditions like heartworm, uh, dermatitis, uh, broken teeth, they need teeth extractions, they have mange or fleas or uh, burns on their paws from standing in urine and feces. All of these kinds of things, all of these dogs are requiring, not to mention the the food and also the, the work of probably, you know, professionals to some degree who are going to psychologically try to rehabilitate these dogs. Um, and you guys, you know, your rescue group is, you know, putting this whole thing on. So I really ask that if, you know, anyone who's listening to this, if you can even just donate $5, I mean, if you get enough people to donate a small amount of money, it really makes a huge difference. So if, you know, whatever you can afford to please support the, the, uh, you know, efforts of, of this, um, this effort. Um, and then other things like you said that people can do is if you're looking yeah. for a dog, you know, adopt a dog from your local shelter or um, mm-hmm. go through a, a purebred rescue and, you know, maybe try to do it that way. But just to kind of help you guys out. So you have um, a PayPal account and, and people can access that by your email, which is Australian Cattle Dog Rescue Inc. I-N-C at gmail.com. So that's, that's correct. Australian Cattle Dog Rescue Inc. at gmail.com. And they can also go to your Facebook page. ACDRI is the acronym Australian Cattle Dog Rescue Inc. ACDRI. Um, and there's information on how people can support you uh, through Facebook. So the good news is that you've had a lot of people who have offered, you know, to adopt, you know, one of these dogs or foster one of these dogs. And you're getting a lot of support in that way. And really what you guys need the most right now is financial support to just care for these dogs' health needs because they're not going to be ready to go to foster homes or adoptive homes, you think, for at least another month because they're just not going to be well enough. Yeah. We're starting to move them. When the dogs were collected, they were put into the Pearl River County Shelter, and they were the ones that housed them. And we um, we had some incredible volunteers that basically put their lives on hold for three, four weeks and, and have gone down there and helped uh, take care of the dogs and handle them. Um, but we are starting to move them out of the shelter now. And, of course, this was a hardship for that shelter, too, because it mm-hmm. took up a lot of their space that they have for you know, their usual dogs. Um, so 
we have been trying to encourage people to, um, and everybody wants to take a dog right now. I mean, I, and the the outcome has been tremendous, just the, the reach out. Mm-hmm. But these dogs won't be ready to go anywhere for at least a month. They're going into foster homes, and they will be there for a month while we make sure they're physically and mentally sound. Right. But if somebody's thinking, gee, I'd like to help, I, I want a dog now, uh, you know, I've got space for one, go to your local shelter or check your local rescues because there are still a whole bunch of dogs out there that could use homes. Yeah. Yeah, there so. sure are. No shortage, unfortunately. <laughs> no, there are not. As I said, you know, in the last three weeks we've been working on this, I helped uh organized pulling two dogs out of the Vermilion Parish shelter down in Abbeville. We pulled um, three out of a shelter in Texas and one out of uh, a situation up in um, British Columbia. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and those are just the ones that I did personally. Yeah. Well, again, that uh, contact info for making a donation is Australian Cattle Dog Rescue Inc. at gmail.com. You can also find them on Facebook, ACDRI. Australian Cattle Dog Rescue, Inc., and I've posted and will again post a link to your Facebook page on our Facebook page, which is, of course, The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and I'll post your email and that information on our homepage as well, which is dogradioshow.com. So if you're you know driving and you can't write this down, you can always go to our homepage and get all of the uh, contact information for whatever the guest is during the week, and um, I just hope that... Uh, you know, you guys get some support from this financially to give the dogs the vet care, you know, that they yeah. need and just help you in your efforts in doing that. And um, thank you for the work that you do. This is, uh, you know, as we were talking yesterday, it's really horrific and, and heartbreaking to um, to kind of connect to this part of humanity that's really very dark and very sad. And it's it's hard for us who you know, give our lives to dogs in one way or another and just love them and, you know, only want the best for them and all that kind of stuff. And to just hear about these stories and to really connect to these conditions is really hard to stomach. But, um, you know, you guys are very brave and courageous and doing. We are, but, you know, we've been very, very lucky, though. For one thing, the cattle dog community has really pulled together. There's been some great support from our breeders and our club. I mean, they have just been incredible in in what they've been willing to do. And the other thing is that, you know, after a couple of weeks, you see an ear go up and a tail wag. Yeah. And that's, that's what you want. Yeah. Well, if the cattle dog community is anything like cattle dogs, they don't they don't mess around. So <laughs> they don't. No, <laughs> and they are. Yeah, and they are. Our Good. our breed club has just been stupendous. They have been Good. amazing, mm. and uh, all my all my cattle dog friends have been too. I, it's just been a, a a real outpouring of love and caring. Good. Well, thanks again for your time and uh, best of luck in your continued efforts (laughs) in this. And I do hope that you see some support come in from our listeners. Australian Cattle Dog Rescue Inc. at gmail.com is the email address. You can connect to them via PayPal and find them on Facebook as well. Uh, Linda, thanks so much for your time. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and then come back with more of The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. The 
Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice, jetcityanimalclinic.com. The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud. Made fresh each day for you. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Such an important topic, this issue of puppy mills and um, really being aware, especially as consumers, about, um, you know, if you're going to buy a dog, especially to know where to go. And the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show is a wonderful local event where you can go and maybe meet some responsible breeders and groups. There's a Meet the Breeds uh, um area up top where you can uh, meet breed groups and you can get referred to great great breeders locally here. The Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show is March 12th and 13th this year at CenturyLink Field Event Center. Uh, can't wait for that event and uh, just a great show today. And reminder to go to Keeping Canines in Kevlar on Facebook and vote for them so that they can provide a dog in need with a uh, life-saving protective vest, a canine officer in need, keeping canines in Kevlar on Facebook. And be sure to find The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Facebook as well. We'll be back next Wednesday live at 2 p.m. Thanks for listening. been listening to the dog show with julie forbes wednesday afternoons at two on alternative talk 11 50 a.m never miss another episode listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on itunes or soundcloud